You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. And welcome to Stop the Presses here on the 17th of April, 2020. Your host coming to you live as of this day, Mark Anderson. And we're seeing now, ladies and gentlemen, since the big drive-in and protest in Lansing, Michigan, the state capitol there on tax day, April 15, we're seeing also that there have been demonstrations in India of a much larger scale. And right after Michigan, in Austin, Texas, there was a protest, not quite as large as Michigan's, but more pushback against the COVID-19 measures. And now we're reading where the big sky state, Montana, is coming up next. But the state there, even though it's almost last in COVID-19 problems, is trying to impose almost New York or California level conditions on its people. And the state highway patrol is threatening to block people from driving to the capital in Montana. Well, someone who's been writing about this and many other topics, of course, is the noted author and publisher of Culture Wars magazine, E. Michael Jones, and he's with me today. How you doing, Mike? Good, Mark. Good to be here with you. Yeah, absolutely. I was glad to see that you were addressing the COVID-19 thing, not only in the direct news sense, but in the philosophical sense. And among other things, you addressed a couple of Catholic figures, uh, Dolan being one of them, and another on your website for Culture Wars magazine. And we'll talk about your new book in just a few minutes. But uh, you're citing here that, you know, people are really hurting and that there's a lot of misdirection going on, uh, including the fact that certain Catholic figures are calling on the people not to be hyper-libertarians. They're saying, well, you know, you got to listen to science, you got to listen to the state. But you're asking correctly what many have been asking, including those at the protest, is who speaks for the state? Who speaks for science? Are they all equally valid? And we know darn well they're not. We know we see the evidence that the death figures are being padded and inflated. And I've seen many, many things to indicate that these cases that they tell us are out there, people that initially test positive, they don't even really define what a case exactly is. But these cases also are subject to a lot of misinterpretation because there's different test kits out there. We don't know which test kits different countries are using. They talk about contaminated test kits that are floating around. So how much can we rely on the case numbers, just like how much can we rely on the death numbers? So I'll go ahead and launch into this. Uh, what did you address most recently on Culture Wars magazine regarding, I forget his name right offhand, he, he talked about this misbegotten libertarianism. Go ahead and start with that, if you would, Mike. Yeah. Now, uh, I have criticized libertarianism for uh, my entire adult life. I am not a libertarian in any way, shape, or form. But uh, I read the article by Father White, a uh, Dominican, uh, who, which appeared on the uh, First Things uh, website. Uh, and... Uh, about the COVID uh, epidemic and the proper response, the proper Catholic response to the COVID epidemic. And Father White, Dominican, what does that mean? Well, he's probably a follower of St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, one of the great thinkers of the Catholic Church. And it just so happens that I wrote a lot about Thomas Aquinas in my book, my recent book, uh, Logos Rising, A History of Ultimate Reality. 
And one of the shortcomings, uh, I mean, he's a great thinker. Uh, he resurrected Aristotle. But one of the great uh, shortcomings uh, uh, historically of Thomism was that it was not historical. And what you see here with Father White is the uh, the Achilles heel of uh, ahistorical Thomism. So he launches into a disquisition on the state. Okay, now this is some type of platonic abstract term that if you fine, if you want to talk about the state, that's good. But don't bring it in when you have to talk about something that is happening today in a very concrete way, namely the COVID nineteen pandemic. We have to contextualize that if we want to make any sense out of what's going on. Right. And so uh, at this point, uh, what do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is that this this COVID uh, uh, epidemic, pandemic, has created, first of all, a constitutional crisis and a church-state crisis. So to get to the constitutional crisis, we have uh, the question now, as, as you mentioned, well, who's speaking for the state? Who speaks for the state? And at this point, we have the other element that Father White brought up, namely science. So his message is basically science Science uh, is the un understands ultimate reality. The state has a duty to follow science when it comes to issues like uh, health. And so, therefore, you just sit down and do what you're told. Well, there are problems right. with it. Okay, there are problems with this, and you've you've alluded to them uh, as well. First of all, the question is who speaks for science. Second question: Who speaks for the state? And in order, if you want to have any relevance to what's going on, you're going to have to answer those questions. So to get back to who speaks for science, it's not as if we're supposed to believe this is some type of disinterested enterprise. No, it's not. We have aspects of science. Uh, big pharma, the whole pharmaceutical industry. We have a figure like Bill Gates, who started off as the head of Microsoft and then had to get out of that job to, to evade prosecution by the federal government, and then got into philanthropy. Well, whenever I hear philanthropy uh, in this regard, I start to I start to get worried. And it turns out that I have reason to get worried because one of the main philanthropical enterprises that Bill Gates got involved in is vaccines. He's an expert on vaccines. And so suddenly he starts telling us that uh, he knows how long this is going to last and therefore we should listen to him. And uh, also he happens to have a test. Uh, we could buy that test from him if you like. And, and as a matter of fact, he'd like to have everyone tested. And not only that, he'd like to have certificates to give to you uh, so after you've been tested. Now, let's assume that the test is accurate, which is a big assumption, and you test positive. Then he'll give you a certificate, and then you can go about your normal life. Well, thanks, Bill. But wait a minute. Who elected you president? Who elected you king? And it turns out, well, he's in a direct conflict now with Donald Trump. And so what you see, the battle, in other words, before we can talk about the state, we have to talk about the issues here where the whole issue of state authority is now being contested. First of all, being contested by the scientific, so-called scientific establishment represented by Anthony Fauci, the man who speaks for big pharma, the man who speaks with the air of the scientist. Well, it turns out he's got a history too. And it turns out that there are other, so it's Bill Gates, it's Anthony 
Anthony Fauci, and it turns out there are other people now. Uh, Jeffrey Sachs. Who's Jeffrey Sachs? He's a guy who uh, uh, basically uh, destroyed the economy in Bolivia when he was a professor at Harvard, and then he went on to fail upward and destroy the economy of Russia in one of the greatest looting operations since the Reformation. Uh, basically stole the wealth of the uh, Russian people, handed it to eight oligarchs, uh, seven of whom were Jews, who then passed the money to the Jews in Wall Street. And uh, Harvard University, who brokered this deal, ended up having to pay a fine to the State Department, biggest fine in history, $26 million. So you put these three people together, and I think uh, a strategy begins to emerge, and that would be the oligarchic strategy, which is basically... String this thing out as long as possible. Uh, keep people, get people used to being confined in their homes uh, at the advice of scientists. Uh, use the time to run out, uh, to bring out a vaccine. And then after months, when the economy is totally wrecked, which is uh, Jeffrey Sachs' specialty, uh, you, you uh, pull out of this disaster capitalism by having everyone vaccinated and then take control. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, Donald Trump didn't get elected either because he followed the rule of the oligarchs. So this is the strategy. And I think it would be foolish uh, uh, to tell Catholics, uh, you have to obey this because it's the natural, the moral law or the natural law. No, it's not. And this is the problem, precisely the problem with this ahistorical Thomism. This is what got, this is why, I, I hate to break this to Father White, but I mean, this is why Thomism got such a bad reputation. Manuals, uh, theological manuals taught at places like Notre Dame in the 50s led to the reaction that was known as Vatican II. And I, I'm going to say, I mean, I'm a, in some sense a Thomist myself, but I'm going to say that uh, Vatican II threw the baby out with the bathwater. And we had chaos ever since because we completely repudiated uh, Thomism, which is uh, the basic metaphysical foundation of everything we know. So all of this is covered, the whole battle over Thomism at Notre Dame, for example, all of this stuff is covered in my book, uh, Logos Rising, which I wrote to basically put power back into the hands of the people in a moment like this, because what are the people supposed to do? We, we, we got these experts. Well, who, which expert are you going to listen to? You listen to Fauci. Uh, it, is it Fauci on Monday or Fauci on Tuesday? There, which Fauci is going to show up for the press conference? He says everything over the map. If you listen to the other oligarchs, you get that sense of, you know, total lockdown for as long as possible. But then you listen to the Germans who took a leadership role in this thing in more ways than one. And they're saying, no, no. It's it's not it's not what they say it is. It's 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 it has a certain structure to it. These viruses, these uh, pandemics have a certain structure. They rise and they fall, and so you you don't want to wreck the economy for something that's going to take care of itself uh, by itself inevitably anyway. I would interject, Mike, that people think of the economy and they think, well, you want to save the economy, but I want to save people from the virus. They act as if the economy is just about hedge funds and Wall Street, the economy is about growing food and packaging and processing food, getting it to the stores so we can eat. The Indians, the people in India are feeling what I'm saying very acutely. The economy is about human survival. It's not just about abstract monetary transactions. And, you know, people, they impute that and they make people think, well, 
you know, the economy is just a bunch of abstract numbers. I'm talking about human lives. The economy is about human lives. It's about survival. If you have people half starved to death, their immunity is going to go through the basement and they're going to catch every illness known under the sun. So the economy is much more than just abstract numbers and markets. It's about human survival. And I think that's what gets lost in the shuffle here. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think that that's why it's important to take into account uh, the situation in India, uh, where uh, a horrendous situation, okay, where um, uh, Narendra Modi, who is a, a crooked politician, who is basically a tool of the oligarchs, and his job is to provide the cheapest labor on the planet for oligarchic benefit. And he does this by whipping up uh, religious Hindu fundamentalism to attack Muslims and, and Christians as a way of uh, solidifying his base. Uh, so yeah. the, the, economy, the economy has tanked in India. The cheap market economy has tanked because uh, the, the stomach isn't uh, getting any food anymore. And by the stomach, the world's stomach is the United States of America. And what happened over here, uh, over uh, leading up last year, actually, uh, you may not have noticed, but all of the midline clothing manufacturers went bust. I'm talking about Banana Republic, uh, American Eagle, uh, Forever Penny's 21. Uh, it's, yeah, they, they all went. They all went bust. And then what happened is that uh, the only the only per, the only company placing orders in India with the cheap labor was uh, Old Navy, which is the bottom of the line. So as okay. a result, there, there are people there uh, that expanded, okay, to go even to cheaper labor markets, big, built big factories uh, for even cheaper labor, and suddenly the doors open and no orders are coming in. And now these people are in distress, and Modi's got to do something. Well, they're, they don't have a lot of money over there, so suddenly the COVID-19 virus arrives like a, the answer to a maiden's prayer. And Modi suddenly applies to the world, the IMF, for a $1 billion loan to fight COVID virus. Well, in order to get the loan, you have to file, follow World Health Organization guidelines. And to do that, you have to basically wreck the economy. You have to a uh, total lockdown in India. Now, India is a place where uh, some people cannot be locked into their homes because they don't have homes. India is a place where people sleep on the sidewalk. India is a place, uh, if you go to Mumbai, uh, there is a huge slum in Mumbai, and those people earn uh, a, have a very precarious existence, earning living hand to mouth, hoping to get a job in the morning so they get paid in the evening so they can back and feed their family. Uh, Modi's lockdown, uh, which was done in the interest of the oligarchs because they're going to get the money and not the, the it's not going to go to fighting uh, COVID virus. The oligarchs are going to get the money to bail out their, their bankrupt businesses. So uh, Modi's lockdown then put all of these people out of work. Now, this is serious. There's no welfare in India. That's how they maintain this class of people that works for absolutely nothing. Now, these people are faced with starvation. This is not an exaggeration. They know they're faced with starvation. And so as a result, they are marching out of the slums of Mumbai across India back to where they came from. Well, guess what? This contradicts the whole notion of quarantine and the whole notion of uh, social distancing. All you have to do is type in, do a Google search for the imagery, and you'll see these people packed into buses. I've done this. 
I've been in buses on India. You get packed in there like a sardine. You couldn't fall down if the bus hit a wall because there's no place to fall. Okay, wow. that's the way they're packed into these buses. Now, if they have that disease, if they contracted it in the slum, which is probably a good place to contract the disease, they are now spreading it throughout India. Does this make any sense? I mean, I'm not saying this is the case, but I'm saying it, it completely contradicts their, their plan. Now, the, the, the point, the other point that needs to be made is that so far, uh, I, don't, I don't have a daily update here, but I think 35 people have died in India of the COVID virus. Now, 35 people get picked up every, every morning on the sidewalks of Calcutta because they died the night before. You're talking about a population of 1.3 billion people. So your computer probably doesn't have enough zeros to put in front after the first decimal point to show how small this percentage is. So maybe with trying to put all these conflicting ideas together, uh, they're doing something that is totally unnecessary to begin with because the numbers are so small. And secondly, what they're doing may very well bring about the spread of the virus that they're, they're trying to fight. And even if it doesn't do that, you've got a serious health problem now because you've got all these people on the road, sometimes walking, sometimes hundreds of miles. Uh, these people are in, more people have been killed in traffic accidents because they're walking down the road than were killed by the by the coronavirus. So all I'll this type of stuff. Yeah, we got about a minute before the break. I'll just note real quick. They're saying 452 coronavirus deaths in India out of 150,000, almost 151,000 globally. So only 452 out of 150,000 globally allegedly have died from coronavirus despite all the data problems we talked about earlier in India. And so, uh, you know, you have they're saying 150,000 have died uh, worldwide. You have 200,000 deaths a year in the U.S. alone from medical malpractice. You have 90,000 deaths a year in the U.S. alone from staph infections and opportunistic infections that you get while in the hospital. Yes. Yes. So we, need to, put this, this, we need to put this in perspective. Absolutely. That, that's the thing. And, yeah, they're bringing out the very response that is antithetical to what the government in India claims that, that they're trying to carry out. And then here in the States, uh, you know, people, my son in Michigan, many people I know in Michigan, that's where I'm from, I spend the winters in Texas, are really at their wit's end, especially small businesses, hair salons, smaller restaurants, small retailers, any kind of independent store, uh, contractors and people like that that are doing small repair jobs, plumbers, electricians. These things are really hurting. We'll be back with more from E. Michael Jones right after this. Stay tuned. Hey, welcome back to Stop the Presses. Live with you today, your host, Mark Anderson, 17 April 2020. My guest is the noted author and publisher of Culture Wars magazine, E. Michael Jones, quite an activist in his own right. And Mike, uh, we're in that short segment before the bottom of the hour. Then we get into a long, uninterrupted segment. There's also, I believe it's, was it Archbishop Dolan or Cardinal or Bishop Dolan? There's more than one out there that also spoke out about the 
COVID-19 thing, and I think you took some issue with it. Correct me if I'm wrong. Well, I just said that, uh, you know, we don't have, we, we can't tell you when mass is going to be celebrated again. It's up to the state. You know, they're the ones who have to decide. They know what they're doing. They're, they've got science on their side. So we'll just let you know what the state tells us. Well, I don't think it's that simple. It's I'm Cardinal Dolan. Cardinal Dolan. He's, okay, he's, I, I he's a, a cardinal, cardinal Archbishop of, of uh, New York City, the Archdiocese of New York. So he's saying it's completely up, the st- up to the state to shoot the starting pistol as to when church will resume, when mass will resume. Yeah, well, that's uh, other bishops have different views. So there's a bishop in uh, New Mexico who's already started uh, uh, people uh, allowing people to go to mass. He's celebrating it, trying to celebrate it according to some type of uh, quarantine operation where you can't people in parking lots in cars. Uh, you, you, the reason you do this, it seems kind of stupid. Why don't you just watch it on television? Well, you can't watch mass on television because the mass is a meal. And so it's like saying, I'm hungry. I think I'm going to thumb through the pages of gourmet magazine. It doesn't work that way. You have to be able to receive communion, which is the high point of the mass. And you can't do that on television. So even in the car, it's better because you can receive communion. But we have a bigger, again, a bigger church-state issue here. Uh, again, uh, precipitated by this crisis. And as I said, Father White is not helping the matter any by just saying, do what the state says. I mean, I'm not a libertarian, okay? I believe that there is a role that the state plays. It's necessary. It's part of nature. It's like the family. You can't get along without a state. Okay, but then what do you mean by the state? And that's where the the conflict arises. And what is the relationship between the state and religion and the church? And they've worked out um, an arrangement here, not the best arrangement in the world, was basically that whatever goes on inside the church walls, uh, the state is not going to touch it. Obama tried to chip away at this by making little sisters of the poor pay for contraceptives, but that wasn't inside the church walls. Well, now they've breached the church walls, and they've basically forbidden the mass to take place within the church walls. And the question is now, okay, you accepted that, but who's going to end it? And who decides when it's over? Uh, that's that's the big issue right now. Some bishops are deciding on their own. Uh, it It's going to be... Uh, uh, different according to diocese, I imagine. I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I have a friend out west who says the first thing communists do is close the churches, and he looks at it as almost kind of a neo-communist thing, like a retread or 2.0 of communism. Is that too extreme uh, in terms of this uh, strong state reaction where you cannot question the state no matter how questionable the CV data is? Uh, is that too too strong of a reaction to call this sort well, of a new species com- of communist control of the state? Of communism, the church, I mean? communism is an obsolete revolutionary ideology. Uh, we are much more sophisticated now. But the the real question you have to ask is what world is the state now preparing for us? And that's a world where uh, going to, you know abortion clinics are open as necessary activity and. Uh, churches are closed. Uh, You can buy um, alcohol and you can buy marijuana and you can buy lottery tickets in uh, the state of Michigan, uh, but you can't go to church and you can't 
by mulch or seeds to, for your garden. And this is where it becomes important because I think these are all signs of the world that these people are preparing for us. You can download pornography, okay, but you can't go to church. Uh, this, I think we're starting to see a, a pattern emerging here. And I think that this, yeah. pro, this provided uh, the excuse, this medical emergency provided the excuse that these people needed to impose this on us. And okay, yeah, we'll lift it sooner or later. But get used to it. We lift it. We'll lift it now. But get used to it in the future. Yeah, they're trying to paint us into a dark corner. They did that through the Atlantic, through the Economist, through these Bilderberg-connected magazines. They're trying to give us what our future is going to be already. They're trying to paint us into a very dark corner and say that even after COVID-19, there'll be other pathogens, and we're going to have to learn to live something like this in the long term. And this is where we really have to push back in a big way. Yeah, I think that that's uh, and that's exactly what's happening. We should we should talk about Michigan in the long segment, but uh, uh, but uh, yeah, it's happening in Berlin. It's ha it's happening right. in Berlin right now. Uh, yeah, I don't know how much time we have. Yes, that's what I was saying. We're coming up on the break, but yeah, we'll get into Michigan. We'll talk more about your book, Logos Rising, and some other matters. That's for sure in the second half. But this is really. Uh, I think Bill Gates represents private government, you know, the Bilderberg network that he's been involved in, trying to substitute for the state and substitute for science. But we'll talk more about that, too, right after this break. And welcome back to the second half of Stop the Presses on the 17th of April, 2020. Some basic announcements before we get back with our guest, E. Michael Jones, today. Uh, a book that I sometimes announce, Alice and the Money Tree by John Briggs, a friend of mine from the UK. An excellent book for homeschoolers and others that want to teach their kids or learn themselves about the money magicians, the money masters that run the world. It's written in rhyme and verse. It has Alice in Wonderland type illustrations, hardbound, a special CV19 price here, only $8 if you get a hold of me through the network or write to me at truthhound2 at, at yahoo.com. Excuse me, T-R-U-T-H-H-O-U-N-D, truthhound2, the number two, at yahoo.com. Alice and the Money Tree by John Briggs a great instructional book, especially during these homebound times to tutor our kids and others about the money tricksters out there. Also, this coming Monday, I think it is, the Chicago Council on Global Affairs is welcoming a World Health Organization envoy. That's the Chicago version of the CFR. And there's a lot of propaganda going on there. That's this coming Monday that they're having that meeting and bringing him on. It's a virtual meeting, kind of a webinar, I guess. And I'll be writing about that. So look for news on that to expose what the CCGA, the Chicago Council, is doing regarding misinformation and a lot of misleading things about the World Health Organization that Donald Trump is threatening to cut the funding from, from the U.S., which would amount to about 22% of all WHO funding, WHO funding. Hopefully he's going to totally follow through with that. 
Now, returning to my guest, E. Michael Jones, the noted author and publisher of Culture Wars magazine, which is online as well. Uh, Mike, you want to talk a little bit about Michigan, and that I think we th could then segue into your book and some miscellaneous matters. But what did you want to say additionally about Michigan? Well, Michigan has apparently some of the most draconian lockdown regulations in the country. Yes. Uh, right up yep. there with, with New York and California. It's it's uh, apparent because uh, I'm in um, Indiana. I'm about 10 miles from the border. And it's a completely different situation here. So now we're once again, we're back to the uh, federalism is making a comeback here. Uh, apparently, Trump has announced that they're going to open the country, uh, but it will be at the discretion of the governors. So suddenly governors have been rehabilitated here. But um, unfortunately for this, the, uh, the residents of Michigan, <laughs> you've got a governor who has gone absolutely crazy uh, over this thing. And not only that, the, the thing that people are missing is that the, uh, the, the person who's involved in uh, putting the law into effect is the attorney general. And the attorney general in Michigan is worse than the governor. It's uh, a lesbian by the name of Dana Nessel, uh, who was elected uh, largely uh, with the help of the drug uh, dealers of Michigan, or let's put it this way, more polite, the Marijuana Growers Association of Michigan. They got behind her, they got her elected, and as a result, uh, she's not going to prosecute those people. That, that's legal now. And uh, to give you some indication of how legal it is, it's not even going, it's considered an essential service. Uh, and it's not going to be banned. You can still go out and buy some marijuana. Uh, while you're locked down. And if the cop stops you, all you have to do is say, hey, I bought some marijuana and they'll let you go. But if you go to uh, the hardware store and you buy mulch, which is what uh, someone we know did, uh, you get stopped and you get a thousand dollar fine. So what is, what is the, the, the point here? What is the point here? Uh, in normal circumstances, you need prudence uh, to get through life. And prudence is basically the ability to understand the truth and then to act on it. Well, if there's one group of people that do not have prudence, it is homosexuals. Now, why do I say that? Well, if they had prudence, they would understand that homosexual activity is irrational. It is not in conformity with the plan of human sexuality, which is procreation. It's a matter of fact, it's the exact opposite of that. It defeats the purpose of sexuality. And so you have people now, I'm not talking so much about the people who are struggling with a vice because people always struggle with vices, you know, and sometimes they win and sometimes the vice wins. I'm talking about people who adopt this as their official identity, as part of a protected identity group, uh, which has a certain amount of privilege because of that. And I'm talking about homosexual privilege and basically a woman who ran uh, with that as part of her resume. So we're voting for her because uh, she is a homosexual. Well, the result is that you're going to screw up the situation by doing this because you have no understanding of limits. You have no understanding of the normal functioning of the economy and the normal functioning of government which helps us through, you know, that's business as usual. You got a lot of people going through life as normal, you know, and kind of uh, 
cruise control. But now you've interrupted that with this medical uh, martial law emergency. And now we're dependent on the judgment of people whose judgment is flawed because of the lifestyle that they've chosen. That's the problem that we're facing here uh, in Michigan. Yeah, I, would add, I would add that Dana Nessel not long ago targeted specific parts of Michigan, particularly the thumb area, as hotbeds of right-wing extremism. And that really means anyone that's concerned about our constitutional rights and is outspoken about it. You don't even have to be necessarily right-wing at all, let alone an extremist, to think that way. So Dana Nessel has also lashed out as, at Michiganians, and this was like six to eight months before COVID-19 came up. So she, she's really politically extreme and antagonistic to any kind of dissident thought or any kind of opposition. It's worth noting. Yeah, well, who, who's, uh, she perceives the people, I, the majority of the people of Michigan as the enemy. Now, this is, I, I didn't see, I haven't seen her, uh, but I, I saw uh, the governor give a press conference and she's lashing out at her own people. These are your people, honey. <laughs> Why are you talking about them this way? She says, I saw a Confederate flag at that rally in Lansing. Well, honey, that was probably an FBI agent. Aren't you smart enough to know that, that there always somebody shows up with a Nazi flag to discredit whatever rally the oligarchs don't like? Don't you know that? Why are you talking as if this is uh, and it, as if the people of Michigan are your enemy? Well, because you're a tool of the oligarchs. That's pretty much what this whole thing is about. It's it's nothing new here. It it was a continuation of the battle last year, which was the battle over the internet. I mean, who's allowed to speak? on the internet, who's going to get deplatformed? That turned out to be a, a battle over hate speech, which is a fiction that was created by the ADL to shut down any type of speech that uh, they don't like. Uh, and that, uh, that pre I think that pretty much failed. That pretty much failed. And, and before that, uh, remember uh, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act in Indiana? That was another battle where uh, the go state government was basically uh, declared null and void because the CEOs didn't like it. And the CEOs uh, were talking about rule by CEO here, uh, where uh, uh, Mark Benioff shows up in Indianapolis and tells the state to overturn its law. That was also oligarchically run. And guess what? It was big pharma too, because the main uh, player in Indiana is Eli Lilly. And Eli Lilly is located in Indianapolis, and they pulled out all the stops to uh, basically overturn the Religious Freedom Restoration Act because they're fully on board with using homosexuals as their proxy warriors. That's part of their strategy. You know what I've noticed, Mike, not to interject, but I've noticed that there is a huge change in the American capitalist of yesteryear and now. Today's American capitalist is extremely socially liberal and internationalist. It used to be that the capitalist American, correct me if I'm wrong, was a church going man. And now we've evolved to where you go to like Chicago CFR meetings, you go to the think tanks, and they're pushing extreme social liberalism, even while they say that they're, you know, these uh, diehard capitalists. And uh, I've seen this uh, happen many times in many contexts. A UK um, official, a high UK official spoke to the Chicago Council on Global Affairs 
and talked about how wonderful it was that they'd bring the London Gay Chorus to Chicago. And I thought to myself, what's happened to, you know, the conservative capitalist businessman of yesteryear? You know, where did he go? Well, you know, now now all the big uh, movers and shakers uh, with all the money and there's a higher concentration of wealth in fewer hands now. You know, you got Bill Gates, who's a Bilderberg boy, and he's doing on an international level what Eli Lilly's doing on a state level where these oligarchs think they can second guess and short circuit government and basically privatize government decisions. But what's happened to the capitalist class? What, why is big money in bed with uh, social revolutions? Uh, the short answer to that is finance. Uh, in 1910, uh, 90% of all capital uh, improvement was done through profits which meant meant internals to the company. Wall Street did not like to hear those numbers. And those numbers applied to the Midwest, which was the manufacturing center of the United States. And that was epitomized by Henry Ford. Uh, And so what you had at that point was a battle between uh, Wall Street and Main Street. It was a battle between uh, largely Protestants and Jews uh, it was a battle between manufacturing and finance. And uh, Henry Ford was one of the leaders of the Midwest. Uh, it was a leader of America first. He was a leader of keeping America out of World War II after the disastrous results of World War I. And uh, he was progressively demonized. Okay, And uh, with the creation of the Fed, suddenly money was available. And now what we want uh, the manufacturing class to do is to borrow money to finance capital development. Well, then you end up a slave to the person who lends you the money. So this all, it's, it's, I, I go into this in uh, my book on economics, Barren Metal, A History of Capitalism as the Conflict Between Labor and Usury. But just to get back to, uh, to Detroit, if we can focus on Detroit, I mean, Henry Ford raised sure. wages, had high wages, and that's how it uh, created the, the assembly line and uh, high wages allowed the, the worker to buy the products that he was making, certainly on a global scale. And that is known as prosperity. And we had uh, what you find is high wages are the best indicator of broad-based prosperity. And once high wages, wages stagnate, then you see the rise of the credit card to make up the, 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 uh, the deficit. And at that point, uh, you have... Uh, the s- capitalism is state-sponsored usury, and it's also the systematic appropriation of all surplus value. And so they go hand in hand because usury is the tool whereby the oligarchs appropriate all surplus value. You borrow money, all of the surplus value you put into those products that you make uh, eventually ends up in the, in the hands of the oligarchs. So to, to fast forward to uh, just not too long ago, uh, the oligarchs uh, decided that uh, they had had enough of high wages, and D- Detroit led the way. Uh, GM uh, outsourced its plants to Mexico, uh, killed Flint, Michigan. Michael Moore did a movie about that. Um, and uh, as a result, uh, the pressure increased. Uh, when my son was working for Ford, there was pressure to outsource to China. Outsource to China because we can take advantage of slave labor and we'll make a killing in the short run, but we'll cut our own throat in the long run. But we're not going to talk about that because in the long run, everybody's dead. 
as John Maynard Keynes said. So I knew a guy, uh, you know, German-American who was living in Detroit who made, uh, you know, decent living. He owned a factory. And the factory produced parts for the automakers in Detroit. And guess what? Uh, he got word that uh, from now on, we're going to pay you China prices for your products. And so you're going to have to cut back on the wages and uh, you're going to pay the price and we're going to have all the profit. Uh, and if you don't do it, what we say immediately, we're going to outsource anyway. So at this point, my friend got out of business. He sold, sold his business. I don't know what has happened since that time, but basically he was a man who was uh, insistent on paying high wages in the German Catholic tradition. And now he's no longer there. If you're talking about capitalists, he would qualify as being a capitalist, but he's not a mega rich billionaire. And this class of people was wiped out over this period of time. And so naturally. And with them went their moral code. And in other words, then the people that took over brought in that new moral code of extreme liberalism on social issues. It sounds like that's where you're going. Yeah. And those, so the oligarchs then come in and they believe in slave wages and uh, sexual liberation to distract you from the fact that you're you're earning you're not earning enough money, so don't go to the boss and ask for a, a raise. Go to the gay disco and celebrate and dance the night away, and maybe you'll forget about the fact that you're not earning enough money. If you have a job, this is the whole. I've talked about this before, but it's it's the it's it's Michel Foucault's pact with the devil, the French philosopher who taught at Berkeley. And the whole transformation of the left during the 70s, when they moved from talking about economic issues and all they did was fixate on sexual issues. So his pact with the devil is give us unlimited sexual liberation and we won't criticize your economic system. And that is the uh, system today. And that's why yeah, CEOs love to have homosexuals working for them because they don't, they don't raise children. Uh, they just go off to the gay disco every evening. Yeah, fewer demands for money if you don't have a family to raise. Yeah, we kind of did a big circle there uh, inadvertently, but it was very informative to do it. I'm looking at Gretchen Whitmer, and I'm seeing where she not only has had aspirations to be Joe Biden's running mate, but she's national co-chairwoman of the Biden campaign. So above all, Gretchen Whitmer is just using Michigan as a stepping stone, even while she antagonizes Michigan citizens. I mean, that that really adds insult to injury, just to sort of yeah, well, tie that loose. Yeah, she's like Pete Buttigieg, who used South Bend, Indiana, as the stepping stone. I haven't heard about him for a while. He seems to have dropped out. But, I mean, uh, that's exactly what these people were doing. I mean, Pete had the, Pete had the best resume in the history of Indiana. Uh, but the problem was we got crappy voters in Indiana. So we need to fire the voters so that they will vote for somebody with a great resume, like Pete Buttigieg. Well, obviously, that's not that's that's not the system. The system is representative government. And we choose people who represent us, not people who represent the oligarchs, not people that go to Harvard, not people who are Rhodes Scholars. You know, I know we're 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 really impressed that you are a Rhodes Scholar. But ultimately, a Rhodes Scholar is a, a, an agent for the Anglo-American empire and not the people of South Bend, Indiana. And that became obvious 
during this presidential campaign. It became obvious to the people of South Bend much earlier than that, but obvious during the presidential campaign. Yeah, they're known as roadies, I believe, uh, as a little sly the description of them. Hey, Mike, we got about maybe seven, eight minutes left. Uh, tell us about your new book. Well, my book book is about uh, logos, which is a Greek word for rationality, reason, word, and so on and so forth. But the, the fundamental conflict in the book is the conflict between religion and science. And the conflict is who speaks for ultimate reality? Well, uh, what, what did we learn from the COVID virus? Well, science speaks for reality. And you just better shut up and do what the scientists said, because religion finishes a distant third, I think. Uh, it's way back on the list. And what we're seeing now is the tyranny of the scientist because we have a truncated understanding of reason. Uh, let me, let's just get specific here. Think of yourself as Donald Trump. You've got to decide which scientist am I going to listen to? How do you decide? Well, the answer is logos. It's called reason. And representative government is based on the fact that everyone is a rational creature. And a rational creature, I mean, with all its shortcomings, is the best person to decide about the political uh, arrangement under which he lives. That's what's being contested right now. Can we have some science? What, what can you say? He's a scientist. I can't say anything. I have to do everything he says. Well, what happens if the scientists contradict each other? Then what do I do? Well, I have to use reason. So what I'm trying to do is rehabilitate reason here as a way that we can take back the power that God granted to us when he made us rational creatures and start exercising that power in, in a way that will produce uh, a good for the, for the culture that we live in. I mean, we're tired. We're tired of oligarchic control. And the main instrument of oligarchic control is science. Let's face that fact. This breaks that open, breaks it down, and explains how it happened and why we need to break with it. You know, it reminds me, Mike, what Thomas Jefferson said. I believe it was him. Correct me if I'm wrong. That, that I know of no better place to use as a repository for the ultimate control of the government than the people themselves. I'm very loosely paraphrasing, but I think it was Jefferson, the best repository is the people themselves, of course, when they're properly informed. The media fails to properly inform people. That's why the mass media cartel is going down. That's why alternative media is going up. But I think that reflects Je Jefferson's views as well, just to throw that yeah. in as we yeah. up today's show. Yeah. The opposite was John Adams, who said who was a, uh, an opponent of Jefferson, but he said we have no constitution that functions in the absence of a moral people. Morality is practical reason. Reason is logos. If you don't have morality, you can't make good judgments. And that's why you should not elect a lesbian as attorney general in Michigan, because she's going to rule you with an iron rod based on her irrationality. Yeah, that that is clear when when she named parts of Michigan as hotbeds of right wing extremism. Uh, she even went after the church militant. You might be familiar with Michael Voris up there in eastern Michigan. Yes. He's a Catholic, a Catholic journalist. He, she went after him yeah. big time. I know. I know. I know because she's not going after drug dealers anymore because they got her elected. <laughs> now, how do, we, how do people get your book? Obviously, they go to Culture Wars Magazine's uh, website. That's an obvious one. But go ahead and describe how to get your book. 
Yeah, go to culturewars.com. The this the 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 uh, the ability to, the the little ad will pop up and you can just click on that and order it. Uh, and uh, we got copies a week ago. We shipped out a couple thousand copies already. So we're getting close to the uh, end of the or we're in the middle, let's say, of the first run. So uh, it's still available. It's only available at culturewars.com. We haven't allowed put it on Amazon yet. So that's where to go. And uh, nobody will push you around after you read this book. You will have you will be grounded in ultimate reality. Yeah, and Logos is ultimately grounded in Jesus Christ, as you've talked about in many many media appearances. Jesus Christ is the Logos incarnate, and as Saint John said, in the beginning there was Logos, and Logos was with God, and Logos is God. Yeah, so, so advocating an atheistic world, which science does, by the way. Some people spell science P-S-Y-E-N-C-E because, as you said, it's not, it's not disinterested. It's not impartial no. anymore. It's politicized. It's and, weaponized. And it's atheistic. And they make harsh rulers. Think of Ireland, for example. The Irish... Uh, con- the, the big pharma convinced Irish, the Irish, that uh, abortion was a medical procedure. They voted it in in a referendum, and now they are locked into their homes because of this medical tyranny. So you abandon the moral law, you abandon practical reason, you will be ruled by an iron rod. And that's what the Irish have learned the hard way. Yeah, one of the protesters in Michigan said, those that are not ruled by God will be ruled by tyrants. That was on one of their placards quoting William Penn. And that, you know, pretty much sews it up in terms of that concept. That goes all the way back to the founding of the American Republic. So it's not an alien uh, concept that we're trying to impose on America. That's what America is and always has been uh, or should be. Yeah, it's the Bill Gates and the oligarchs that are bringing in the alien concepts. You know, the idea that private citizens that have a billion trillion dollars can rule our country just because they're wealthy and really have no background in science. And of course, the CDC and Fauci and Gates are are not disinterested parties. They all have skin in the game to profit directly or indirectly through the revolving doors by the development of a vaccine that would be developed too soon and would pose a lot of dangers to anyone that receives it. So there's a lot of skin in the game, a lot of money to be made by very few people here in this COVID-19 thing. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And we discussed this in Culture Wars magazine this month, the COVID virus and the uh, cunning of reason, going into detail about all the damage that Bill Gates vaccines have done in Africa, for example. Wow, wow. I'm told the music is coming in the dead end here of the show. Thanks, Michael Jones, for being on the show. Always informative, like usual. Very interesting. Thank you, Mark. Uh, Good to talk to you. Good talking to you again. And we'll see everybody next time. Have a great weekend on Stop the Presses. Have a great day, Mike. Thank you.